My name is John Stamper. I am a principal solutions builder with Amazon Web Services out of the Dulles office. And I am joined by my esteemed colleague. Hey, I'm Tom Horton. I'm a solution builder, and I am out of Seattle. And over the next 60 minutes, we're going to talk to you about the <clears throat> uh, connected vehicle solution, which was released one week ago on our site. So got a lot, of a lot of stuff to show you, not a lot of time, so we'll get started. Good, got my slide. All right, so in my time as a solutions architect, I, what I preferred most is to show people stuff and then get to some slides. So this is what I, I have something to show you. And I want to give you a little bit of background on the connected vehicle reference architecture. So the solution builders team was approached earlier in the year about what would it look like if you got a lot of SAs together and say, we want to build a reference architecture for automotive. How would we collect data off of cars at runtime, be able to do analytics, be able to do health reporting? How would you build that? And so the team went down that path, Thomas, myself, a lot of other people, um, Sean Sr., Chris Reck, and we polled industry and we polled internally about what the best way to do this, all the use cases that we could think of. And so in order to build a reference architecture that people can use, which would sit in AWS, we had to build some other artifacts. And number one is a simulator to simulate data coming off of a car because those trials are very expensive. They're time expensive, the gear in the car. So this is what we call Moonracer. Moonracer is our simulator for the reference architecture. It connects to it just like a client would uh, and sends data into the, uh, the reference architecture at the IoT endpoint. So, its reference point right now is right outside the Venetian, and I'm gonna tell it, give me a route to Henderson, Nevada. Not far away. Using integration with Mapbox, determines the route, and starts its, its movement, right? Right now, simulated vehicle data is going into the reference architecture, and this is where we get to do, you know, the tin can. Alexa, ask connected vehicle, where is my car? Found your car at 626 Las Vegas Boulevard South, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89101, United States. We had to do that. <laughs> had to do that. <clears throat> so this is the agenda that we have for today. We're going to talk about our team, the solutions team. Uh, industry solutions, some industry use cases. We're going to dive deep on the reference architecture itself. Oop. How about I show you that? We'll go into edge and ingestion, like how are we getting it from the car into AWS. Then we'll get into data services. And then the, the last part will be handled by Thomas, and it will be uh, mobile apps, clients, connecting and pulling data out of the reference architecture. So who is the AWS solutions team? And I wanted to show you this. This is our publicly facing page. If you're not aware of the AWS solutions team, I'm so glad that you're here today. It's a team I work on, it's a team that Thomas works on. We produce solutions on AWS with native AWS services. Clear answers to common questions. If you want to know how to get there, HTTPS, aws.amazon.com slash answers. That's where we have 24 solutions today that you can download and run on AWS. They come at no additional charge to you other than the use of the services themselves. And one week ago, we added a new solution, connected vehicle. So if you want to know how you get your hands on the reference architecture, it's located at 
slash answers under IoT. We offer a graphic. You'll get an implementation guide. Our deployment vehicle is always, to date, has been CloudFormation. It's very deterministic. You launch the, the architecture in AWS, you'll have it. We've done this many times. It takes about six minutes for the reference architecture to load and be ready for, to, to accept data. So the team is comprised of SAs and builders that our sole job is to deliver solutions for our customers. You will notice that we have things that are called solution briefs, and those are, that is prescriptive guidance from the solutions, solution architecture body within AWS about how you should do certain things within AWS. Transit VPCs, VPC design, um, cross-account management, that is coming from the solutions architecture group. So we have briefs, just documents to give you very clear guidance how you should do something. And then the automated reference implementations. Like I said, we have 24 of those. All right. So when you look at the automotive space, there's about six different things that we see going on in and around the vehicle, right? We have infotainment, which we're all accustomed to. I got to play my music. I got to be able to do my calendar. I got to be able to send text messages by voice. E-commerce is showing up. How am I going to be able to buy things from my car? How am I going to be able to market things, goods and services to people in a car? That's e-commerce. Driver behavior, very important to industry, uh, uh, insurance industry. They're very concerned about that because the data they have today is not nearly as good as the data they could have if they understood exactly how the car is being driven. Being able to do quality analytics on the data, that's, that's a space that manufacturers are going and people who supply parts to manufacturers. And location and navigation is, has been there for a while. We have them on our phones, we have them on our cars. Um, I think my child has it on his tablet. So those are the, that's the space that we see. The reference architecture is going to address four of those six. So if you download it today, right now, it's gonna address four of those six. And the use cases that we addressed in the reference architecture are here. Secure data consumption, gotta make sure that the data as it travels from the vehicle into AWS is secured. Not only that we know who sent it, but it was encrypted in flight. The ability to do data analytics, either in batch, in not real time, or in real time using some of the AWS analytics services, and we're gonna go deep on that. The ability to have health reports on vehicles. Since we're capturing all the data that's coming off of the vehicle, and we're storing it, that puts customers in a position to use their big data tools like EMR, like Redshift, like Athena, and dig deep into massive amounts of data and be ready to do health reports on trims of vehicles, on years and trims of vehicle. Like all that data is gonna be available through the reference architecture. We call out a use case for anomaly detection. You know, that's different from something that's not right with the vehicle. It's the vehicle is being driven in an anomalous way. So now you're getting into driver behavior. And again, this is very important for a lot of people in the insurance industry and actually the manufacturers. And then there's this piece called diagnostic alerts. Diagnostic alerts are things that are fired from the bus on the car. They're called DTC codes, diagnostic trouble codes. And all cars fire them, and if you had access to them, you as a driver could know like a sensor has died or a circuit has failed. This isn't very interesting to you as a driver, but if a manufacturer could know this about their vehicles at large, they could schedule, one, they could probably fix it uh, going forward, and they could get in front of your maintenance of your vehicle. So we're, we're addressing those in the reference architecture. And here it is. This is the reference architecture built by the team. It addresses, you should read this from left to right as data is at the edge in the car. 
connecting to IoT. From IoT, IoT itself has a, the rules engine, which I'll get to, for routing of messages. All data ends up in some data services, S3, Kinesis, and Dynamo. And on the far right, we also built an interface for the reference architecture through API Gateway. And that's what Thomas is gonna talk to you about. So we have data coming in from vehicles. We have a way to route those, that data coming into AWS to its various microservices. And then we have how would I build on top of it and make a better consumer experience because you're participating in this architecture. So what are some of the benefits of this? Like why, why would I do this, right? We cut this into the left and the right. Number one, it's serverless. And that's one of my favorite things. I think that's the future. If I, if, if I can build anything in a serverless way, that's the way I wanna go. Because I save on licensing costs and I don't have to do you know, the patching and management of the OS itself. Like it just allows me more time to do the stuff that really matters. Number two, all the services are the managed services, right? IoT is a managed uh, MQTT broker service. Um, Kinesis is a managed streaming service. S3 is a managed object store. Dynamo is a managed NoSQL store. Those are the, and Lambda, on-demand compute. Those are all managed for you. You'll notice in the architecture that's microservice based. And so what I, when I talk to customers about this is you will clearly see the way we are designing a microservice. Things come into the rules engine, we create a rule for a certain sort of data coming on an MQTT channel, and they will filter it uh, to the anomaly portion of uh, the architecture. Or we're doing driver scores. Whole team could just support driver scores. That team can build new, net new features and capabilities with the data coming in. And any of that development would not affect people doing anomalies or the people doing batch diagnostics on everything in S3. The services we chose are scalable. IoT, Dynamo, Kinesis, and it's event-driven, right? That's nice. All the data sort of moving in one direction. <clears throat> so, you know, what's nice about it is there's no servers to patch as things change, and this is what happens, is say, hey, you know what, I wanna do this reference architecture, I wanna do this car thing, fleet management, maybe that's the new industry, new thing I wanna do, you're gonna start off as a certain customer set. And as time goes by, you're gonna get more customers. So you gotta be able to turn the dials up. You can do that with Dynamo through the console, you can do it through any of our SDKs. Lambda's gonna fire at runtime, and then the Kinesis streams, you would, you would be able to dial up. It doesn't get much more flexible than that. And then the last piece is the minimal monthly spend. The reference architecture when deployed does cost money as a running cost because Dynamo costs for provision read and write capacity and the Kinesis streams will cost you money. But Lambda does not cost you anything. The IoT endpoint doesn't cost you anything. It's about as low budget as you get to start, right? Here's another way of looking at the architecture, right? Start from the bottom and read to the top. At the bottom, we have uh, the vehicle itself, the hardware on the car. You'll notice you'll see green grass and X509 certificates. PKI is just not gonna go away. And we use that to connect to the IoT service, but notice that there's the mobile carrier in between. Right, there, there needs to be a path to the internet and to AWS. We don't control that, we're not in that business. But once you reach IoT, that's the next layer. Uh, well, the protocols that we use are the ones compatible with IoT, which is HTTP, MQTT, and WebSockets. And then the, the next layer is what we call the ingestion layer. That's really our IoT service. It has a registry gateway, the rules engine, the idea to have shadows of things, like everything represented can have a shadow state within AWS, and you can read that data and change that data within AWS. Then you get into the data services. Data services are gonna be S3, DynamoDB, Kinesis. 
We stub in here Amazon Machine Learning as a predictive analytics capability that you can use in the reference architecture today. We didn't build an ML endpoint into it, but I will tell you the next, we, we tested it, but we didn't release it. It sits in the data services, right? And then there is the application services, notifications, SNS, SQS. How do I alert? How do I make sure that we're seeing things at runtime? How does someone get that information? Those are the application services. Sitting at the top now, if I want to build a mobile app that deals with my cars, I can have a better user experience, people can interact with their vehicle, that's at the top with the mobile apps. They're all going to deal with the API gateway. API gateway is, we believe, very scalable service to handle all those calls, and it has the permissions to go inside of the reference architecture and pull that data. Yes? So this is currently one-way communication from the vehicle, not through the vehicle. So thank you very much. I will, I'll answer that right now. So since we're using IoT, data uh, comes in. You, uh, the vehicle publishes data to certain channels within the broker. It also subscribes to channels on the broker. So because we're using IoT, we can fire, an alert will fire off the vehicle, come in, we can detect that, turn around and take a human-readable form of that error, put it back on the channel the car is listening to, and in the in-vehicle infotainment display, you will see, hey, circuit 45 failed, whatever the exact wording is. So to be able to trombone and get things back to the car is native to this reference architecture. All right, the edge and ingestion. Greengrass and IoT. So that's this portion of the architecture. So if you've not worked with IoT or Greengrass, you know, this is the, the big picture of IoT. It's the large box in the center that all things that connect to IoT, our IoT service requires X509 certificates over TLS 1.2. That's the security model. And it is mutual authentication, which means you do have to get a certificate of the signing CA down onto the client. Never fear, there's an API for that. We've done it. Um, but that's how we secure that this vehicle is represented by these certificates, and those certificates have these permissions, and we know that the channel is secure, and it's as good as it gets from the security standpoint of getting vehicle data. Once you hit the device gateway in the center, everything goes through the rules engine. If you've not worked with the rules engine, I'll show it to you a little bit later. Notice that we have device shadows. That, those are, that is a state table of your thing. In IoT, things are called things. Uh, devices are called things, and they are represented somehow by a certificate pair. Notice from the rules engine, it sort of goes outside the box and talks about other AWS services or OEM services. That is exactly what we're doing in this architecture. Rules engine is basically the router of data to the various microservices behind it. So Greengrass. Greengrass is within the IoT family, and it, it's, a, it's a really neat service in that it's the first time that you could take an AWS uh, capability, which resides in AWS, and stream it down to a uh, device on the edge, not connected to AWS, right? You'll notice that it says local Lambda. So Lambda functions can be defined within AWS, associated with a Greengrass group. Greengrass will stream that Lambda function down and have it run locally on the device. That is an excellent use case for pre-processing of data prior to sending to AWS. Looking for error codes that you could handle on, on the device itself and not worrying with sending it up. It just doesn't make any sense. So the ability to run AWS defined Lambda functions on the device is a Greengrass capability. It has all the same security requirements as everything else, it's gotta have a key pair. So now when you do a device on the edge, with Greengrass, you're gonna have two sets of key pairs. Key pairs for Greengrass and a key pair for the service itself, which is identified as a thing within IoT. 
These are the requirements of Greengrass. These are the, you know, if you're a software hardware person, like how do I, I wanna get this on my edge device. Those are the hard requirements for working with Greengrass. In our reference implementation, we used MQTT as the, uh, the protocol of speaking to the IoT endpoint. But there are others. And it is, this is what I wanna make sure everyone understands. Greengrass is software that you get from AWS and you download and install on an Edge device, like a Raspberry Pi, an Arduino, something like that. It's gotta meet the physical requirements. So you download and install it, and it's actually four things. And that's what this slide is all about. Number one is, it is what we call the Greengrass core. That's the thing that you install, that's the software. Platforms are Linux-based, and it is the proxy device for speaking to IoT. That's the Greengrass core. Then it's the device. It's the thing identified in IoT, represented by a key pair, that, you, that it is allowed to talk to Greengrass. They need to be associated in a subscription, which is the next piece. And then if you have any Lambda functions that you want to have run locally on that device, it would be associated with the group. So we have a group is made up of at least three things, possibly four. And here is a, a screenshot from the, from the console. If you deploy the, the reference architecture, you'll see this. And what this shows is Greengrass is, is being the, the, the proxy that says, Anything, if the source is coming from telemetry thing identified there, and that's actually the VIN of the vehicle, and its target is the IoT cloud, put it on that topic, connected car, slash, and then pound symbol. That means anything after that is fine. Likewise, if anything is originating from the IoT cloud and is destined for that telemetry VIN number thing, you're gonna put it on connected car, slash alert, slash that VIN number, which means this is how we trombone back to the car. Uh, yes, we are. If um, I don't know what you're doing at one o'clock today, the question was: Is he? Am I talking about OBD? And the answer is: In our trials, yes, we are. Uh, we actually, as a, you know, in order to test the reference architecture, we built a simulator called Moon Racer. Thomas and his team they built a companion mobile app. He's going to talk to you about that. But the other thing we did is we built an in-vehicle kit, and that was based on. Uh, parts that we bought off of Amazon.com, one of which was a Bluetooth-enabled OBD2 reader, right? So we have, a, we have a, a spec to build a Raspberry Pi to connect over Bluetooth to the OBD2 and pull the data in and send it up. At 1 o'clock today, AMF 303, not to give a plug for the other show, but at 1 o'clock, the workshop is based on this reference architecture. Everyone deploys this. Myself and another person are gonna be in a car, streaming the data off the car, sending it into AWS, fanning it out to all your accounts, and you'll build three more use cases on top of the reference architecture, so. So the green grass goes into the Raspberry Pi model that you Um. I don't fully understand the question. Can I, can we take it sure. offline? Okay. So what are the channels? Like all, out of the box, what are you gonna get, right? These are the four topics that the car will publish to. Notice that they, the, the VIN is, is stubbed in for every single one. That way we know no one is getting crosstalk. So OBD telematics goes to a telemetry slash VIN. Vehicle trip information, which is routinely sent up, is at a different channel. Diagnostic trouble codes goes to DTC slash VIN. And vehicle provisioning is a channel. It only happens one time when you initialize or what we call provisioning the edge. 
That's a one-time thing, really not used afterwards, but we need it for setup. Yes? Do you have the ability to add topics? Absolutely, absolutely. So these are the channels that we created for the reference architecture. Um, when you look at it, and I'll, I'll get there in a second, um, we cut, cut out a couple use cases. Let's do some analytics on data in real time. Let's find an anomaly, you know, let's find something that's not right. Let's do a driver score. Let's be able to tell a driver about diagnostic trouble codes. That's what we came up with, but it's, it's not the answer for how you should do this exactly. It is, here's a foundation. In six minutes, you can have this running in AWS. You can connect your cars to it, send the data, and then build upon it. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, yes, we are, we are collecting. That comes off the telemetry. Yeah, so GPS is also involved. If you can get it, so in our in-vehicle in kit, we have a GPS receiver. We read off that serial bus, turn around and send it uh, through MQTT. So location data is sent out of the box um, every second. But that's, this is the client side. This is the, the in-vehicle kit. So this is the part where you get to talk back to the car. These are the channels that the, the vehicle is listening for. So anomaly alerts, DTC alerts, and driver score. Yeah, so <clears throat> when you work with MQTT, uh, when it, whenever you do that, they are self-defining strings, really. There is no, uh, you would have to define your own taxonomy. Clearly, we came up with a sort of an organized approach. Um, but anything within an MQTT broker is, a, is kind of a free-for-all. So just create, just create, just say, I'm going to send a, a message to this channel. I'm going to publish there. And if I have subscribers, I'll forward it on. It's kind of nice that way. And it's also sort of like, where do I get started? So now all the data is coming through MQTT, and it's going to hit the rules engine. And the rules engine is super important. We use it. You know, you're not getting around it. And it's the key to developing new services on top of what we've added. So what I want to point out here is if you've never worked with IoT rules engine, this is the ease with which you can set up a rule and start routing data around AWS. When you look at it, this is the telematic data. Select star from connected car, telemetry, everything else. Wherever that goes, if that's true, send it to an Amazon Kinesis Firehose. That's it. If that's true, it's going there. At the bottom of the rule, it's called an action. Like what happens next? When this is true, what happens next? I want to point out that we have one, but you can have multiple actions per rule, right? There, the next one, vehicle DTCs. Again, select star from and set it to a lambda function. So it's starting to show the versatility of the rules engine. It's not like one or two services that you can send things along to. There's actually 13 different services from the rules engine that you can send things along to. Third one right here, it's one of my favorite, the trip. You don't even have to set up the client to write to Dynamo. Just say, take the record and throw it on Dynamo, please. Done. Just tell me where the table is. And in that process, permissions are established for least privilege. So you're asking, where does the GPS data go? All location data is going to S3 for sure, because all data goes to S3, which I'm, I'm going to get to, right? And I don't believe we have a rule which parses on location, but it is part of the workshop. The workshop will build a use case around where am I, right? So data services. We like this. I've done this for a long time. Uh, 
customers should be able to run a query on all the data they've ever collected. I firmly believe that. The tools are there, the compute is there, the scale is there. It would be foolish not to do that. So that's why you'll see all car data comes in, rules engine, send it to Firehose, which is the ability to take data at high ingest, and then it damps it down and sends it over to S3. S3 is the basis of all the big data uh, tools that we have of decoupling compute from storage. And this is how easy it is to define the fire hose. It says, you know, what S which S3 bucket am I gonna go to? What roles do I have? And the damping function itself. That means what we did out of the box was five megs of data or 300 seconds of runtime, whichever happens first, write that to S3. Do that in the console, dead easy. Done in one minute. But you have some options that we wanna point out is it, once you get into S3, if you wanna use Redshift, you wanna use EMR, on S3 at runtime, you totally can, and hook up the BI tools talking to those services. It's not, we didn't do it in the reference architecture, but that is something you can do. And that, that can be at runtime. Also is using streams, and we do have this in uh, the reference architecture of doing uh, Kinesis Analytics application on all the data at runtime. So we set up a Kinesis Analytics app, it's called an application, and again, it just could not be easier. When you define this thing, it says, okay, well, where's the source of my data? And if you notice there, in the input, the source ARN is point at the fire hose. So now, as the data comes in, not only is it going to S3, but we're gonna duplicate it and we're gonna send it into the application stream. The output, it says, you're gonna do something in the middle here with some, with some logical SQL-like language, but when I'm done, any records that fit that condition, where am I gonna put that? I'm gonna put that into another stream, and that's located at the bottom. We call it the connected car anomaly stream. And this is the interface for a Kinesis Analytics application. It is a SQL-like language, and it's based on the idea of pumps and streams. So <clears throat> you send data to streams, and you create pumps, and those pumps are really select star where sort of idea, right? Anything that fits the condition gets sent to the stream, and the stream is forwarding on to the other stream. So in the reference architecture, you'll see that we have, we have one of these, and we're using a, an, an above average sort of algorithm. If the number is above a certain level, that's an anomaly, and we should fire a notification. What I wanna point out is, this SQLite language comes with many functions that are higher order functions, one of which is a you know, random cut forest, which is specifically designed algorithm to go for anomaly detection. If you've ever worked with that thing, and certainly we worked with it, it is when you're working with simulated data, we could never get a good beat on the numbers, but it totally works. Uh, actually, some Amazon people developed the, the paper that got behind a random cut forest, but that and many other higher order functions that you simply can call from within your application are available to you. So you can spend more time figuring out, you know, which data do we really wanna get, what's anomalous to us, what isn't, and use the functions to speed you up. And then this piece right here is the other example, which is I'm coming off a rules engine and driver safety score, right? So this is where comes in and we say, if this is, if I got a trip, a trip has completed, we wanna develop a driver safety score. We send that over to Lambda. Lambda does, takes all the data for the trip itself and runs an algorithm on it, places it back on the channel that the car is subscribed to, and you get a driver score. We pointed out here that machine learning is an option here. So this is where data at scale or data aggregation, you can start seeing the potential to start predicting when accidents could happen. 
or someone's gonna be in an accident because they drive really fast or they accelerate really hard, they brake hard, uh, they make tight turns. It's, all that data is available. And at scale, you can start, start seeing some, well, what this, this driver is basically unsafe. And when we look at all the other drivers that sort of look like that driver, they always get in a, you know, 80% of the time they're in an accident. And that's what our machine learning analytics, machine learning predictive analytics service offers. And then the last one I would be remiss not to mention DynamoDB. It is uh, our favorite backend store for data. Schema lists, scales, turn it up, turn it down. Uh, many times during the development of the reference architecture, the data that we were sending through the architecture was changing. And it was just so nice to be like, yeah, just change it, let's go. Just, it, it's gonna land in Dynamo, it'll be fine. As long as we're not changing indexes or sort keys, which we figured out very early that we were gonna do much of that, we really like Dynamo. And so in the reference architecture, you deploy this, you're gonna get six tables. And they come out of the box with these read and write capacities. You are welcome to change them at your leisure. This is what we came up with. So over my time with you, we have covered these three portions of the architecture. And this is when I hand the baton off to Mr. Thomas Horton, and he will get you going on the right side of the diagram. I'm gonna turn on the computer. All right. Cool. Thanks, John. Now log me in. I'm going to preemptively mute this so we don't do that again. <clears throat> okay. Cool. So, um, my name again is Tom Horton. Uh, I'm with the Solution Builder team. I'm based out of Seattle. Before I joined this team, uh, about a year and a half ago, I spent a lot of time as a web development engineer at Amazon. I ran the uh, AWS marketing site. I'm sure you all have looked at it a lot. So uh, you're welcome and I'm sorry at the same time. Um, eh, never mind. Uh, but yeah, so I got put over on writing mobile apps on AWS because of that experience that I have. Um, I wanted to kind of come at this from the opposite angle. We spent a lot of time putting data up into the cloud and it'd be a shame if we didn't have a good way of pulling it back down and creating a beautiful UI, just doing everything that we need to um, to make a rich customer experience. So we've been looking at this all day. Um, we've made it to the end. I'm all the way around the right. Um, it doesn't take up a lot of space on this thing, but I really think that your microservice is only as good as the API that allows you to interact with it. Um, this is very important for me, especially as a web developer or someone with that background, that I need to be able to uh, work with all those things in a consistent way across whatever platform I'm developing on. The way we did that is all through Amazon API Gateway. Coupled with Lambda, you get a fully managed, um, scalable API. You know that it is going to scale with all the traffic that you throw at it. Uh, API Gateway, by the way, comes out of the box with DDoS protection, and then you can even jump in and dial up your different throttling mechanisms on a per-method basis. So you get a lot of good protection there. And then we'll get into some of the cool authentication stuff that we do later on. But the combination of API Gateway and Lambda is a real winner for getting any sort of applications up. If it's a web app, a mobile app, um, an Alexa skill, even a backend service, all routing it through API Gateway means that you're doing it the same way across all your different things. So if your microservice is only as good as your API, I'm also going to make the assertion that your API is only as good as the documentation that comes with it. It's especially important, um, earlier on, I don't know if you caught it, a lot of the team is out of Virginia and I'm over in Seattle, so a lot of the timing doesn't really work up. Like, as much as I don't wanna ever join a 5 a.m. phone call, they don't wanna get a text message at 8 p.m. asking if a vehicle uh, information number, if a VIN is a string or a number. So. The cool thing about uh, API Gateway is that you can export everything as a Swagger definition file, 
and then run it through a documentation generator and create a living document that shows all of your different API methods and what you're going to expect out of the returns for it. So this is really helpful, especially in a distributed system. Like as, as we um, kind of mature in this area, I think we're gonna see a lot, like if you're, if you're outsourcing this work to another team or if your team's just remotely distributed, having that good documentation is great. What this allows us to do though is, or another feature of API Gateway is that you can roll out separate versions of your API. So as our developers, everybody over in Virginia is working on the back end, they have new features coming out, new ideas of what the things are. I can still continue targeting my V1 of the API and develop. They can launch V2 and my, like, my features aren't broken. I can then finish up what I'm doing, go cut a new Git branch, and then start moving the, start doing the migration over to V2, or just so on like that. So it's like a really clean way of doing it. If you're in a situation like this where you're a little constrained, um, yeah, this would be great. Like your iOS app can be running on V2 of the API while your web app's down on V1 until you get ahead over to go work on the next thing. It makes it real easy to go. So I created, an HTML5 application. I'll show you in a second. Um, I picked HTML5 in the web-based apps for two reasons, kind of. The first is I'm a web developer. Like, you know, if you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So that was the easiest thing for me. I wasn't gonna teach myself Swift to get through this thing. Um, the second reason is that, honestly, it doesn't matter what I'm using because I'm just using uh, the SDK that we're defining. So if our team didn't have a web developer and we just had an iOS or Android engineer, then she'd be up here giving you the exact same presentation just with a couple of different names thrown in there. So, I think we're asleep. Um, I wanna show, run over here and just kind of spin up the application, show you what it looks like, and then I'll explain some of the things that are going on. Okay, so we have an HTML5 application and it is being launched in something called Electron. It just allows us to make a frame. So it's windowless. Uh, you get the application, it spins up, and then we're going to have Cognito login. Should jam out. And then we end up over in our UI. So I'm gonna go over and explain a little bit more about what's going on here. So what we just saw was Amazon Cognito. Cognito was a huge time saver for me, putting this thing together. I don't know if anyone here has really spent a lot of time in web dev or has tried to create their own user authentication and registration system but it's definitely not something you can do in the same 30, 45 minutes it takes to read through these docs and implement it. Um, when you use Cognito, you end up with this fully managed, secure user directory. Uh, it comes with everything. There's, you create a new user and it sends an email to their email address and they get a verification code they can put in. It comes with pre-baked UIs that you can drop in, like little OAuth frameworks. In this case, I've rolled my own. It was just easier at the time, but it's got more features than you can imagine. It's everything you would ever need for creating it. Um, it does take a little bit of getting used to to figure out exactly what's going on behind the scenes for Cognito. I'd like to give a little bit of background here. So what we just saw, what I just did when I logged in, I gave the application a username and a password. That, all, the, all this is happening securely, but that is being sent over to our login provider. Login provider, in this case, is a Cognito user pool. The user pool goes back and it says, hey, we got a good user, here's the identity that goes with it. So now we have a, an identity, and that identity gets traded up to um, Amazon STS, and you get short-lived AWS credentials that match up to a role that we define over in Cognito. So we can say, not only is this an authenticated user, this is authenticator user Tom, and here's all the IDs that go with them and the things that we can access. So the role that we have 
gives us access to go hit that API that we defined earlier, and it lets us um, go into some buckets. We have some cool stuff going on with bucket policies that lets us get uh, extra data and still keep it secure so it's not uh, open access. Again, just um, back to what the Cognito user pools have. Um, this is where you go and you manage uh, security policies for your users. You can make sure that they have good passwords. You can make sure that they're using multi-factor authentication, things like that. It's also a good place to store uh, user settings. So if I were to go build an iOS app tomorrow, I can share data about the user between the two devices. So if the user goes in and they say they want to use metric over imperial, then the next time they log in over on a separate device, they're going to get that information down and they don't need to kind of change their preferences again. Cognito also has, um, has integration with different identity providers. Uh, we have a couple that are already being, or that have simple integrations, login with Amazon, Google, Facebook. And we also have SAML, so any sort of federated identity provider, you can hook into Cognito and use your pre-existing identity pools. It's really cool. We're just using a blank, um, a blank Cognito identity pool, but this would be somewhere if you already have an existing Facebook app, you can just have everybody log in through that and it, it'll work seamlessly. Okay, so that was a couple of things to go around. What we ended up doing, we defined an API, we have it protected so you can only um, get in if you're authenticated. And then we have our authentication. So at this point, we're back in the app and we're fully authenticated. The app knows I am me. And we can hit these different APIs. And they're all set up uh, with the, the CRUD, create, read, update, and delete. The first page that you see is the vehicle select. And that's doing two different types of API calls. The first is it's hitting your vehicle endpoint so it's looking up the owner and it's saying, how many vehicles does this person have registered under them? Give me all the information back about it. And then all I have to do in my view, once I have that information, is iterate through it and create a display. I'm just doing a little card with the nickname of the thing, the VIN, and how much gas is left in it. Uh, and then also we have an area below for vehicle registration. So that is doing, as opposed to like a get request for that first bit, it is a form that allows us to do a post and zap the information up, and then we're going to create a new vehicle in our, um, in our architecture. <clears throat> we do some other cool stuff with the data. So we had some questions earlier about what we're doing with the trips, uh, the trip data. We have a Lambda function that goes and it aggregates. So if you imagine um, back the trips running, and you have a bunch of lat longs going up to the service, we have an aggregator that goes and it forms uh, what's called GeoJSON. So it's a, a path. That's too big to really put in Dynamo. So what we had to do is we go and store that in S3, and then our API has a file pointer to that S3 URL. So when we go and we look at the trips for the data coming through, or the data for the trips, we get that uh, GeoJSON URL. We go and we fetch it. And then we can display it. Again, we're using Mapbox. It's a great mapping library, but you can just slap the GeoJSON in there, and then you get this beautiful view. It's fully customizable, everything that you want. It's a, a great library to use. Um, once you have this vehicle data all loaded up, you can display whatever you want in there. Um, I just have everything. How hard you hit the brake pedal during your trip, um, what your maximum speed is, things like that. You can get as creative as you want with it. I'll catch you at the end. Um, so the name of the game with this thing, like I put this together in about a month. The name of the game when you're doing this is use open source libraries as much as you can. D3JS is another great one that I used. It's a graphing and charting library. So if you have something like that loaded up and you have all this data from your, um, from your endpoint, then you can reduce it down to the information that's interesting to you, like driver safety score over time, and then chart that out. And the possibilities are really endless with it. So up until now, everything that we've been doing is through API Gateway. So it's like a, a pull-based model. The user wants to know all their vehicles, so we're going to go ask for all the vehicles. 
We also have this separate use case, which is more of a push-based notification. Like we don't need to be asking the car all the time if it's on fire. We just want to know. We want the car to tell us if something bad's going on. So we had to design a method for that. And we're using IoT and MQTT broker to do that type of information. John alluded to this earlier. We're doing things like um, diagnostic trouble codes, anomaly detection. We want to let you know when your trip's done. And uh, we compute a driver safety score and things like that. So it's pretty simple. It's the exact same flow that he had. Um, services publish up to the IoT broker. The rules engine fans it all out to the different subscriptions. And then the only difference is that our application itself is subscribed to the different topics. So if you own three cars, then you're going to be subscribed to three different topics looking for all that. And then the application can parse those messages as they come through and react accordingly. The other big use case, and we saw this over um, earlier with John's, is how we're populating our real-time dashboard. So as these lat longs come in, we can plug it back into Mapbox and update the pin location and show real-time tracking of uh, where everything is and how it's going through. Okay, um, so the next part I want to talk about is just building an Alexa skill. So what we've done so far is we've created an API gateway, and it's the API is really a framework for creating on this application and creating clients of all different types. So we kind of went through a couple of different stages in, in web development or UI. So there was the desktop phase, and then we're into mobile, where everybody needs to be able to um, make responsive applications, work on their iPads, things like that. And we're in the beginning of an era of speech. Um, Personally, I, I just like to think that my house is like the USS Enterprise and tell all the lights to come on, things like that. But it's just how people are getting used to interacting with things. And it's, people think it's a lot less weird now than it was last year, and it's only going to get more mainstream. So we've created um, an API. And then if you want to create one of these Alexa skills, the cost of doing it is super cheap. We already have an API that's going to let you know all the new or all the information about your vehicle. All an Alexa skill is is another Lambda function behind it. So you can hook up this Alexa skill to go speak to your API and pull everything out. The Alexa skill itself doesn't need to know any of the business logic. It's just a quick interface into your reference architecture, just like anything else. All right, we made it. Um, just wanted to talk to you again about what we've covered so far. So we started all the way back at that ingest layer. We started on the vehicle itself and how we're zapping data up into the cloud. Once it's up there, we do a couple of different things. We can take all that information and we can store it, we can transform it, we can analyze it. And then once you have all that done, you got to show it off somehow, and that's through your APIs. Um, that about wraps it up. I want to do a Plug again, we have an awesome workshop set up at uh, 303. You're going to watch this guy drive around Vegas and uh, see a lot of this stuff in action. So if you haven't signed up for it already, please do. Good to go? Good to go. All right. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat>